because there's nothing there's nothing far worse than going into a room of a load of people nodding and then you walk away and half of them didn't get it you know and so <laughs> what did you say yeah. <laughs> hello innovators i'm todd wyant and welcome to the bridging the gap podcast presented by applied software you're invited to join our mep and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward my guest today is neil vipia he is a managing director of Evo MEP with over 20 years of hands-on experience in the construction and prefabrication sector. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for waking up very early. Your time to make the, the this episode work. Uh, no problem at all. Yeah, I, I like to get in the office early before everyone else. It gives me a bit of free time to, to get things sorted before we roll into the day. So glad to be here. Nice. Awesome. Well, I'd love to hear everybody's kind of backstory on how they, they got into the construction industry to begin with. Sure. Yeah. Um, my background was, is quite an interesting one. Obviously, as a youngster, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Um, and, and I did reach some good heights, but I never really got past the academy stage. So my father turned around to me and said, look, look if you if you're not going to go to university then you need to learn a trade so uh off i went to trade school at the age of 18 um and then um talk, decided to go into the, the beautiful world of plumbing um and started out in the plumbing world and got exposed very early on to to major construction sites mainly high-rise residential um i during my apprenticeship also went through different uh, places in, in the UK, that's where I'm originally from, um, and did experience some elements of prefabrication. There's a company called Crown House Technologies in the UK, and they were doing corridor modules in the 90s. So um, seeing how things were being done offsite at a very early age, which is, which is quite um, strange considering how prefabrication is still being adopted today. Um, so some sort of 30 years later. However, um, you know, that was that was my first insight into into the world of prefabrication for, from, from my background, the plumbing background. Um, and I started to try and adapt that to some of the sites that I was working on. So panelized systems with first fit, fit out uh, components on, um, commonly known as in the UK as utility cupboards now or hooks. Um, and that was my first exposure into, into that work of prefabrication. And then I very quickly moved into to project management in, in facilitating more of this offsite manufacturing. Uh, had a very small workshop for the plumbing company that I worked for, building components and, and, and sub-assemblies as such for prefabrication. And then it rolled on from there into making bigger things, bigger pipe work, bigger systems. Um, getting involved in design stage because I was from site, so getting involved more in the design engineering stage so that I knew what could, could, could and couldn't work. Um, and yeah, my, 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 my career progressed from there into I've done manufactured and bathroom pods, worked for pod manufacturers in the UK, um, managed accounts for, for volumetric and uh, modular builders in the UK. Uh, and then 11 years ago, I moved out to Australia, uh, again, working he very heavily in the mechanical sector. Um, HVAC and mechanical has always been a big sector that I progressed into. 
from my plumbing background and do pump skids and multi-service risers and corridor modules. Um, so yeah, I moved out to Australia 11 years ago. Um, the Australian market wasn't really ready for prefabrication. There was elements of it, but it was still very much in its infancy. Uh, went back to the UK in 2016 and took over the biggest prefabrication facility in Europe at that time uh, for, for several years. Um, and then 2018, I come back to Australia and thought, right, I've done really good in setting other prefabrication businesses up and factories up um, and making it work. And the only way I'm going to make it work here in Australia is to is to do it myself. So I started contracting, set up a few prefabrication businesses for businesses that were looking to get into prefabrication. And then in February 2020, just before COVID, great timing, um, we looked in. Uh, um, looked into going more into to the Melbourne market. So we opened our factory in April 2021 um, in Melbourne um, and had great success ever since. And we've completed some really iconic projects with our client base. So, so yeah, that's, that's a snapshot of my journey so far. That's awesome. Thanks for going through that. So I want to go back to the early days of yeah. the kind of deciding between trade school and university. That's a topic that has, has popped up a lot in, in recent episodes is that yep. kind of that, that crossroad and deciding between one or the other and kind of weighing the pros and, and cons and really kind of getting the message of trade school out to audiences that, that don't really think about trade school. So when you were kind of weighing that decision, what tipped the scales in favor of trade school? Um, one, it was two big factors for me. One, I wasn't a big fan of school uh, or, or the actual school system. I thought it was uh, very regimented and, and very one direct, directional as regards the education system of the core subjects. Mm. Um, one of the biggest things that I enjoyed during my high school years, but I only did it for the first three years, was was shop. Well, you know, woodwork, metalwork, um, uh, mechanics, but then comes halfway through my high school years that, that those options get taken away and you still get you, you still have to do the core subjects. Um, so it kind of took away my creativity. I've always been a person that's used my hands a lot. Um, so when it comes to deciding where I wanted to go, um, trade school sort of created that creativity um, and that self-thinking and that self-awareness for me to be able to problem solve for myself. Whereas doing exams and doing papers, it's like, no, there's only one right answer and you're very isolated. You know, you have to learn yourself, revise yourself, do exams by yourself. Whereas I wanted to be in, a, in, a, in an environment where there was other people around me and we were all trying to work in towards the same thing. So when I've seen some of the workshops that are very team-led um, and, and, and team incentivized, that was it for me. So yeah. it was an easy decision to make. Um, I just wish, you know, the trade school was actually part of the, the mainstream school system because I think we'd get more people into the industry if we actually incentivized it and had it earlier on in the education system. Yeah, totally agree. I think that getting that that hands-on experience is a huge, huge importance to expose people to, to what the industry is. And I know growing up, there was not a, a shop class in, at my high school. So it was I, you know, I obviously knew what shop class was and knew that it existed, but it was, we never had hands-on exposure. Uh, so yeah. 
trade school was never a, a thing that people were even talking about. So I, th- I think mm. being able to go into those schools and show it is, is huge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it is huge for the industry as regards being able to get people, um, adopted early um and in that mindset of of take, going further in their education in a trade school um but that the one thing i i do say about the educational system is it very much even through through elementary and a high school our creativity is kind of taken away from us you know young children you see them come home with young pretty drawings you know my son seven eight year old old um, comes home with all these beautiful things, but you can see as the years progress that those creativity pieces actually reduce massively because they're so regimented in doing the core subjects, and uh, and it's a shame to see that creativity, you know, disappear. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, the the core subjects are very antiquated. It's an old Victorian system, and it hasn't changed, you know. So, and then people feel the need to do further education to get a job and further and further education. I have two older sons who are both at university age. Um, and, and even then it's, you know, what you, you finish school, you'd get a job, you know, you finish high school, you get a job, you finish university, you get a job. Now it's, I've got to keep learning and learning and getting qualifications to, to be considered. And now right. we start to see an industry change where some people are, um, going into creative jobs in some mega tech companies and they haven't finished university or they haven't been to university. You know, they, I use an expression, they're QBE, they're qualified by experience. Um, you know, I went to trade school. I work in a massive world of HVAC and mechanical um, across all services. I'm not an engineer, yet I sit with engineers, I have good conversations with engineers and I've physically built thousands of different skids and modules so I can draw a skid and module and I know that it would be, you know, structurally sound because I've built so many of them right. um, and been there. And so I understand the principles, but I'm not an engineer. Um, you know, and when people have interviewed me and they say, oh, have you got a bachelor in engineering? I said, no, I'm QBE, I'm qualified by experience, you know. So I have engineers, I have that, that, that part of the business um, to certify stuff. But, you know, it's, it's very much down to, to that knowledge and I, I i am on a mission now to you know work with universities and colleges to get that the, the mindset of prefabrication earlier into trade schools as well applied software believes that heroes are built the men and women of construction are those heroes in an effort to honor the dedicated workers who build our infrastructure and future applied software is seeking to shine a spotlight on construction by providing lunch to Lucky Crews as part of Food Truck Fridays. Want your company spotlighted? Enter to win lunch on Applied by following three easy steps. Step one, post a picture of you and your crew on LinkedIn. Step two, tag Applied Software in your post. Step three, use the hashtag HeroesAreBuilt. Your crew just might be selected to be part of Food Truck Fridays. Yeah. Well, the, you know, you have the, the head knowledge, which is important, but then you Mm. also have the experiential knowledge that is Mm. equally as important. I think we go askew when we start waiting kind of one 
more than than the other. You re, you need both. You, you need to know your your facts and your figures there, and the math has to be sound. <laughs> and Absolutely. you also have to have that experience knowledge. I mean, that's that's huge. Absolutely, yeah. And 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 that's one of the other things that you know people coming out of university. I have engineers and postgrads that have come and work for me or continue to work for me. And while, like you say, that 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 I can I can do do the drawings and they can do the math and calculations, but how I got to that drawing and how I designed it or drew it the way that I you know I said it can work, they're like you know how did you get to that? You know how did you come up with this concept? You know because of that physical experience isn't there. It takes time and it is a journey. Um, so so yeah, that that experience is is key, um, but having it locked up in here that's no use to anyone you know i'm i'm 42 in a couple of weeks time um and i've you know i still i'm still relatively young in my career in my career but i've got a lot of, of experience and having that locked away in my head one i own and operate in my own business is no good to anyone i i, I say saved many times i'm the bottleneck in my business because a lot of what gets designed and engineered comes from me the problem solver because i've got a lot of experience now i've yeah. spent the last year documenting that and training people up and bringing them along that journey to because we need to bring up that educational level um we need more people in the industry doing prefabrication the only way of doing that is by teaching them so mm -hmm. that's i call it the three e's which is educate enable and empower you know so in order to get more people like myself um out there I've, I've got to got to teach them yeah absolutely well let's dive into dfma and kind of unpack uh, the the state of of the industry so far so from your vantage point what really is the state of of dfma and and how does does data really play into the whole concept uh, data for me carries a massive, massive part, and and that's become apparent over the last several years. Um, having twenty years of data, because I am um, that way inclined as regards recording everything. You know, when in my early years, I, you know, did read things like the Toyota Way and the One Machine, and, you know, changed the world. You know, I did a lot of reading and researching it into the automotive industry as regards production and. And then started recording my own data so how long it would take to do a fitting you know i was timing myself and mm -hmm. timing others um but having data is one thing but utilizing it and using it is another um so our last few appointments within our organization have been people from a software or, or um, a development background to to help take that data and actually put it to use so we have more people using um you know, um, software systems, whether it be an Autodesk product or other systems, to then it, it capture further data so that it becomes part of an ecosystem. So our estimators are estimating accurately, our workforce on the shop floor are working more accurately. Um, um, so then obviously with our DFMA, we then, uh, you know, we, we have a number of letters, we don't just use DFMA. So, we have to think things for, for a building services perspective when it comes to mechanical, electrical and plumbing. We have to think about, you know, the, the logistics, the transport on site, the crane ability, you know, the maintenance, the, the commissioning later on, 
the removal of services if things need to be changed out. So we have a number of different letters there as regards our, our pre-design consult internally. Um, and it's all those considerations that then go part of that DFMA. When we actually build prefabricated skids or riser modules, no two are the same. You know, in that big end of town where we talk about big skids, plant rooms, riser modules, they are all different. They are very bespoke in a sense of the services that run through them. We work with the design engineers and the contractors to, to coordinate, coordinate them a little bit better. But as we all know, you know, no two hospitals are ever built or designed the same. It's very much a blank piece of paper. Mm. So what we try and do is extract the data that we've used from systems before when it comes to weight, when it comes to structure. Um, and we've developed things like generative design. So if we are given a riser core, then we can basically generatively design a frame in system based on the parameters of that riser. So then that framework is then done. The engineer will then obviously we put the weights in it, what components are, and then the engineer will sign off on it. So it, it eliminates a lot of the going back to the drawing board and sketching up and get started from scratch a a framing system um, yeah. and, yeah. Then, and then it's about taking that data and saying right now what can we do to improve the manufacturer of that, that that framing system you know can we design a framing system a modular framing system that we bring in that we use within our model through that generative design so then it's automatically being cut um, so we have a rotary access laser that cuts steel steel pipe and tube so uh, and, and, and RHS and uh, SHS. So we can then send that information to that machine and it will cut all the holes in, it will cut all the, the angles, but it will also cut certain joints so that, that we can then assemble it, sub-assemble it without having to tack it, we can then just straight weld it. So there's mm. certain elements we're looking at the end and then bringing that data back to the beginning and making it part of our design principle. So how are you marking the the various elements and components uh, and, and kind of flagging them in the system so that when you start a new project, you can go, oh, we've already done something similar to this and we can mine that data from this previous project and, and this component and use it in this new project that we're working on now. Yeah, so that, obviously that that comes from, from the team insight. So any new projects that come up, basically we throw, the, throw them up on our, our screens and then we say, well, okay, we've got, this is these are the, the components we're looking at on this job. Um, and then it comes from the experience of the team. So, right, okay, we have a multi-service riser. Yeah, it's, it's this, these are the dimensions of it. It is similar to, you know, this job. We overlay it um, from previous jobs to see if that framing system will work and carry those weights. So we were only at the stage where we're using framing systems to overlay from, from previous jobs. And that helps with the engineering and the certification as well, because obviously going through that, if we subcontract out the structural and seismic certification for it, then obviously that can take time and cost a lot of money as well. So um, if we can drag on something that's been used previously, um, then that's that's what we do, um, and we might there might be small elemental changes to it, but it's very hard to standardise that big end of town. Um, but we're working backwards so that we can look at sub assemblies, so we can things like fan skids or chiller plant skids. 
that uh, we, we can standardize, then that's what we're putting to our army now. So we are using standard platforms or standard skids um, that are transportable and then work within the components and have secondary steels within there. So then we've already got these pre-designed, pre-certified, liftable, uh, you know, rated uh, platforms or skids. Um, so they already go in before, you know, we start looking at the, the internal components and the, the layouts of the, the plant skid. Yeah. So one of the things that's really important right now is really getting that, that data synced and, uh, you know, the, the interoperability of everything of different softwares and systems and components and all that stuff. Uh, and so the buzzword of connected construction, what does that, what does that look like to you? And how does that actually play out in the, the practical reality that we're in? Uh, well, the, the missing piece is there is, is something we've had to develop ourselves internally as regards, you know, from design stage when we're producing uh, drawings um, to, for components that get made into a framing system and that then become something else. That traceability um, and that data needs to start from the design stage and carry through. So. We use a QR system, so obviously every component, every cut piece gets QR coded. So then, when it goes, if it goes through our rotary axle laser, that gets the QR code gets lasered on. If it goes through our tiger stop machine, the, the labels come off on it. Again, when it gets it goes through an assembly, it's the same thing. The guys are scanning on, scanning off, so we're getting that real time information. We also then now have that traceability coming back into the model to say, right, these components have now been cut. These components are now being in the welding bay or assembly bay. Now these components have now been fully assembled. Now and now the QR the QA system is then used for our uh, sorry our QR system is then used for our QA. Um, so our quality assurance and now it's being tested. Right now it's ready to go. So, and that's all real time information that we share with our client base as well. So it reduces the amount of phone calls and traffic flow. And if they want a particular um, set of sub-assemblies or components, then they can see where they are in the system and they can actually, um, to a degree, change with the prioritization. So then we can then reshuffle that within our, our, our production. But there is limits on that because you know, we don't want our clients to have too much control of throwing stuff forward and moving too much around, especially if it's going through some of the machining. So, so yeah, sure. that's that's one of the things we've had to develop ourselves because it, the, the, a lot of the technologies are there or in development. Or we've looked at a, um, a number of different softwares, but at the moment we're, it, we're just playing with it internally. Um, but yeah, we, we are always our biggest investment this year by far has been in people in in software development or um, from from a design stage um, and and software itself. And, and I encourage anyone that's looking to progress that that that's really the road that they need to be looking at, especially when it comes to like standardization and productization. You know, we were working in CAD, we were Revit. Now we're in Inventor and SolidWorks. You know, we are getting earlier and earlier and earlier in, in the design piece because of you know of trying to design early early on and make things that don't necessarily exist before but to productize and standardize that's where we sit hey innovators 
Is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation? After over 115 episodes talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry, the answer is a resounding yes. There are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology. I have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah, interesting. So what do you think is really the, the biggest opportunity for embracing prefab and modular? Um, I, I, one of the biggest things that I get asked, because we work, you know, I work in my role, I work a lot with architects and builders and developers to try and put that inclusion earlier on and educate them of what can be done within a building. Um, but, but yeah, um, sorry, what was the question again? My brain went, What's the, <laughs> it's early. What's the, the, the biggest opportunity in prefab and modular? Oh yeah, so, you know, the people that I deal with from, from the top end of town, so architects, builders, and design consultants, you know, the first question is, how much is it going to save? Mm. You know, and, and the realism there is, with prefabrication, it's not necessarily cost-saving. Um, there can be elements that can make it cost-neutral compared to conventional methods. But when we weigh up all the other factors of uh, minimizing waste, you know, we, we, we operate on lean manufacturing, not lean construction principles. I've studied both. And there are differences between the two, lean manufacturing and lean construction that aren't in sync with each other. They're, they're different sets of principles, different methods. What do you but, see as the, the big difference there? Um, I think some of the, the processes as, as regards lean manufacturing, as regards processes is a lot more driven and a lot more focused in on rather than lean construction. Lean construction is very much more about flow, mm-hmm. whereas lean, lean, lean manufacturing um, is very much driven and obviously in the five S's that the seven waste is very, very focused on within lean manufacturing um, and the continuous improvement and, the, and the, the ability to change within a manufacturing environment is far, far greater than um, construction because lean construction, you're moving from site to site. Every site is different. In lean manufacturing, you set up a factory, you set up cells, and then you continuously improve on, can improve on that. So the data that comes out of lean manufacturing is far greater than, than, than lean, the, the lean construction. Okay. And going back to your question, you know, when we talk about savings, we're actually, we have far more traceability within a factory environment. Um, so we, we have far, far higher safety standards, uh, you know, especially from my experience being working on sites um so you know we're working in confined spaces riser shafts are dangerous places to be well we see people having to abseil into them to fix up work together and other other components you know we completely eliminate that you know we built a 21 meter riser last year for a client that basically went up the entire central core of the building um it shaved months off the program so while it was um still cost saving to a degree it was a small percentage of cost saving the time saved on site the elimination of having guys working in a riser shaft 
Um, and the amount of like, people on site installing it was, was far, far less. And then believe it or not, a week after we installed that riser shaft, we had an earthquake here in Melbourne. So from a structural and seismic component, it was, you know, there nice and standing, you know, and, and rigid, which, which, which was great, but that's what it was engineered for, you know, whereas conventionally, it's not really consi considered a lot. Um, so, you know, if that had been damaged during an earthquake, if we do conventional, then you would be getting people back in there to check it and, um, and repair it. So, you know, that's just one example. But, you know, we talk about quality and time. I do say, and our data says that one week within a prefabrication facility is the equivalent to three weeks on site. Hmm. I believe so, that. So, yeah. So, so, you know, when we talk about time savings, you know, that is there. The other thing is, as well, is our skill set. So uh, we focus our skill set on the shop floor to what they're trained to do. So we do have skilled labor, but we also have general labor and trade trade assistants, and we have apprentices. So with upskilling the industry by bringing people through, we have apprentices working on multiple um, valve sets, whereas on site, you know, I've been an apprentice. They could just be sweeping the floor, making tea and taking deliveries. Um, so we actually get tapes and colleges ask us to take people on because they need to build up their portfolio. So the, the, the apprentices sit at a workbench and build hundreds of these valve sets over a week, whereas on site, you know, they'd be lucky to build one or two, you know, in, in, in within a several month period. So mm. the, the appeal to builders then and developers is that we are actually upskilling in the industry uh, uh, and it's the same with the trade unions as well we encourage them to come here we have full traceability on everything that we build who's building it how they're building it so it ticks a lot of boxes for people especially in a very tough environment at the moment with, with labor shortages yeah interesting so i'm going to shift gears a, a bit one of my my favorite buzzwords is, is innovation. Uh, but when do you think that innovation really moves from that buzzword world and becomes practical on in the job site? Um, I think we're starting to see it more and more with the generational changes of, of people on, on, on job sites, the adoption and, uh, and the willing to adapt. Um, you know, I, when I first moved to Australia 10 years ago and I was you know, talking about prefabrication, you know, the, the biggest thing that rung in my head was who moved my cheese? You know, it's that, you know, you, you're taking lunch off my table, you know, you're a threat. You seem to, to be disrupting everything. Right. Um, and like anything, in order to, to change, you know, you've got to be dissatisfied about something. So... It was breaking those breaking down those barriers and saying, right, okay, well, why have you got a guy over there cutting pieces of metal with an angle grinder when I have a saw and I can cut it in one cut and cut it with a bundle, you know, could do a bundle cut. So that was that to them was innovative because they hadn't adopted, you know, certain you know thinking, oh, I could get this done somewhere else a lot quicker in bulk. Um, even assembly. Um, manufacturing and assembly 
like the industry here in Australia, when I first moved to Australia, they didn't have a copper press system. So I introduced Vega copper press system to Australia. That was how, where they were in their journey of innovation. And I've worked all over the world and everyone's on a different journey and everyone's on a different skill set. And that's what, when I was talking earlier on about empowering and connecting construction is I, whenever I work with anyone, I do a capability study on them. You know, they ask me for my capability statement. I do a capability study on them to see where they are in their journey. Because there's no point in just jumping ahead with technologies and, oh, we can do this and, oh, we can do that, because it will blow their mind. It's right, okay, here you are in the journey. These are all the things that can be achieved, and these are all the things that you can slowly adapt along that journey. Because, like, you know, it's teaching people to walk before they can run. And I see so many people that just go out and say, yeah, I want to go off and do this. And it fails, and then they turn around and say, well, why did it fail? And in, in a lot of honesty, when I've worked with people and they've said, we've done prefabrication before, it cost us money, it didn't work out right. I, I you, know, it, like, you know, it just comes out of my mouth. I'm like, you did it wrong. You know, and it's not, it's not the, it's the way that you did it, the systems, the processes, but it's also where you were in your journey and your understanding um so so that that adoption that innovation to become normal it's a different journey for everyone and it's what like what watching a race you know different people at different stages and you have to you know you're only as strong as your weakest person and and it's like pulling that train along and pulling that field along um we'll never get up, up to everyone on par and uh, on a on a level playing field there are, are companies out there are far more innovative and adaptive and adoptive than others. Um, and I see that because we are starting to see more people come into our industries from different backgrounds, from technology backgrounds. You know, there are CEOs of big building companies now from, um, from IT and software backgrounds. And, you know, so it, that's really good for our industry because they're like, hang on a minute, there's, there's got to be a better way. You know, this, this is so antiquated. You know, we're building like the Romans did. You know, where are we you know, as regards innovation? Um, so that is one good, th one good thing that I am seeing at the moment is some, some of the um, people higher up the food chain and in, in some of these builders and global builders they started to change their ways and starting to to lead the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I love the uh, kind of skill level set and evaluation mm. concept of of just figuring out where where you are in the journey. It's not to shame or you know say that you're way behind, but just yeah. this is where you are. It's a reality. Here's yeah. the the next step for you. Don't try to yeah. jump ten steps ahead because not going to work anyway, and you're going to be frustrated. And, you know, just take a well, yeah. one step at a time. What's the next right thing for you? Yeah, that that's the thing. Like you know, the the word modern methods of construction. You know, that can mean. You know, like I said very early on in the piece that in 1996, there's a newspaper article from Crown House Technologies. Now, when I was doing my apprenticeship in 98, 99, well, through the years when I went there, they were still doing. Um, corridor modules, but I've got a copy of a newspaper article from 1996, corridor modules with all the services, the electric, the, the plumbing, the ventilation, everything in there. 
Now, that is still considered a modern method of, of uh, construction within the industry because of where people are on their adoption journey. So they see that as modern because they've not used it before. Mm-hmm. And when something's new, people are scared of it. You know, so I always say to people, that's why I do a capability study on them. Where are you on your journey? Because in order to me to assist you, I need to, you know, I don't want to go and blow your mind and just talk, talk jargon. I've got engineers that do that for me. And I'll just say, well, it's, it's gone over here. You know, I don't get it, you know. Um, and and uh, I use uh, Simon Simic. You know, when I go and see new people, I use the expression, be the idiot. You know, raise your hand if you don't know. Just raise it. Be the idiot, because yeah. there's nothing. There's nothing far worse than going into a room of a load of people nodding, and then you walk away and half of them didn't get it. You know, um, <laughs> what so, did you say? <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I always say to them, you be the idiot. You know, um, because it's the only way you're going to learn. Um, yeah. And 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 you will get a far more out of it when you start asking these questions. You start putting some of those insecurities aside again because people, some people are scared to change. Um, and you know, I speak with contractors. That, you know, I made X amount of million last year. Why do I need to change? And I said, well, you might feel that you don't need to change now, but in five years you'll be looking back and saying, that's when I should have changed. I should have started going along this journey because my competitors are so far in front of me now. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it's a really, really important, you know, people are planning for the future. We've already got issues within the industry. Um, it's becoming, you know, it, it's more and more of a buzzword as, as each day goes by. Um, you know, that's what's, you know, I, I traveled the world, keynote speaking, I was at advancing prefab. You know, I do, do a lot of speaking about this. Um, you know, I'm sit, I sat here on a podcast talking about it. There's not many people around but uh, that, that have that full skill set. Um, and that's why I'm out to uh, on that mission because I've got 20 years worth of knowledge now. I've set up another successful prefabrication facility, which is great. Um, but I've also set up my competition because I didn't want to be that one crazy guy in the corner banging a drum about prefabrication. I needed to start a bit of a movement. And now there are several other businesses here in Australia that do prefabrication of building services. Mm-hmm. And I helped set up some of those facilities um, based on there needed to be more people banging the truck. Now there's yeah. a bigger noise. It's bringing in more attention. You know, it's bringing in more business for everyone. Uh, and there's enough there for everyone to, 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 to have a good, good say. Uh, and, and we share work. We share insight. We share... We share um, alliances as regards some of our design techniques or, or innovation of softwares because we want to move at a good pace. You know, there's no point in doing R&D and then finding out someone else has done the same sort of R&D, you know, and you've both spent lots of money in researching areas. Why not work together on developing a system? So, so the, you know, we've got things going on in the background with Autodesk Assemble. You know, we've got a different uh, machinery that we've purchased that our alliance partners are looking at purchasing. You know, we share how that information is working um, just to keep moving forward. Yeah, I love that. I, that's a great, great, healthy mindset for sure. Mm. Well, how do people find out more information and, and connect with you? 
Um, well, anyone can connect with me on on LinkedIn. Happy to share my. Obviously, I'm a very easy person to find with an unusual surname of BPO, uh, spelled with a W. Um, but people can find me on LinkedIn. They can go to our website. Uh, they can go to my website, which is neilvpo.com, or they can go to, to Evo MEP. Uh, so evo-mep.com and have a look at some of the work that we do. But yeah, my, my, my mission for the next uh, couple of years is just to get out and educate and empower people and enable people. It doesn't matter where they are in their journey. Um, you know, we're, we're helping architects right the way through to subcontractors. So, um, and, and obviously we have facilities here to manufacture in Australia, but I'm helping a number of different companies throughout the world at the moment, come up with concepts, come up with buildability and come up with productization and standardization so yeah happy to help anyone wherever they are in their journey awesome sounds good well final question for you what does innovation mean to you um innovation for me is all continuously moving forward um you know continuously moving forward in and, and adopting technology along the way right now that that is the biggest thing for us is um moving forward in the adoption of technology we've gone through this technological era of how far mobile phones have advanced over the last 20 years and softwares have advanced over the last 20 years but construction hasn't changed that much in the last 20 years so how do we change it um and that is coming through things like automation through machinery and through technology um, we have people that don't want to work in a factory, but they will happily work on a computer, design a framing system, send it to a laser, and it'd be cut. And then they go down and see what they've designed, sat on a machine. So we're having to adapt to the generations in, in front of us. And, and that is through innovation. Um, so continuously moving forward and adopting things along the way. Um, I use the expression, we're the kind of people that are in the queue for the next iPhone rather than the people that are waiting 12 months to see what everyone else has, has experience with it. So mm -hmm. that's, 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 that's the thing for innovation for us is, is being the crazy people that camp out overnight in queue, ready, ready for, for the next day when the, when the new phones come out. So um, that's where we are in our innovation journey, constantly researching, constantly um uh investigating different ways and different technologies i love it that's a, a great way to to end it always be curious <laughs> i love it well right. thanks so much neil for for waking up and <laughs> coming on the right. show glad it worked right, out thank you that was great thanks for having me it's been really 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 good and um yeah um if anyone wants to reach out feel free to to get get in contact with me perfect Excellent. awesome Cheers, Todd. Thank you. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, providing opportunities for hands-on exposure to the trades is a crucial component in helping to recruit new people into the industry. The trades are able to provide a creative outlet to a whole host of people. Don't let it continue being a great kept secret. Second take, the debate between lean manufacturing and lean construction is very interesting. I think it is worth taking time to think through, should the industry be more process driven or flow driven? Per last week's episode, that will impact the business model that you operate in. 
And final take, Neil had a great point around taking the time to figure out where you are in the journey to DFMA and industrialized construction. Get a gut check and level set to determine what the next right step for you is in your journey. Don't make the mistake of trying to jump too far ahead in the journey. It is okay to take simple forward steps as you begin your journey. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.